0: Welcome to a new episode of the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Islam. My guest this week is Perin Matre, who is a, on the board of directors for the uh, organization Im- or Improve the Dream, a youth-led organization that advocates for children under long-term visas, also known as Documented Dreamers. In 2021, Perrine Matre testified before the House Judiciary Committee to talk about what it's like to spend your entire life in a co- in, in a country that you may be forced to leave behind. I'm very excited about my guest this week, also because she is South Asian, but Perrine Matre, welcome to the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast.
1: Hi, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to start talking immigration and everything with you.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I I mentioned the South Asian part, and the thing is, like, I love talking to all my guests. I think this is like episode 15, I, I don't know how many episodes I've done, but <laughs> it's always cool to be able to talk to South Asians who are trying to make a difference in their community. And obviously you've done that with immigration. But before we talk about the activism and everything, I want to start by, uh, I know I'm really late to this, but this past December, you graduated from the university of Iowa. And so I just want to say congratulations for that, for completing that undergraduate journey. Um,
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Now I know I'm really late, but people need to understand because me and Perrine are South Asian, we are notoriously known for being late to the party. So (laughs) yeah, that's always very late, (laughs) (laughs) but seriously though, I like, I actually want to know more about what this transition has been like for you, because when you're graduating from college, it's obviously like, it's a really special moment, but also it's a, it's also a scary moment because it's like, where do you go from here? And, I mean, for you personally, I'd love to know has this transition been easy or has it been rather chaotic for you?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, and I I remember thinking about this when I graduated that post grad it's going to be rough and I'll definitely have a lot of learning moments. And honestly, I'm being completely honest with you, I was very, very nervous. I reached out to as many people as I could to, just to get their insight on how they handled the postgrad transition, um, and have tried to implement some of those things um, in my personal daily life and routine. So, um, yeah, it's been so far so good. Um, <laughs> knock on wood. Uh, um, it's been it's been good. I'm learning a lot. Um, obviously, you know, there are days when I get home from work and I don't feel like doing anything at all. And that's okay. I give myself grace and um, try again the next day. And then there there are times when I, I'm in the hospital, I leave at 5 a.m. and come back by 7. And, you know, I have dinner with friends that night. And it's honestly just a balancing game, but um, I'm enjoying every minute of it.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine because as someone who's getting ready to graduate, not this upcoming semester or year, but next year, it's like, it's an exciting moment, but then I'm also in that, it's like, wait, where do I go from here? Like, how am I supposed to balance everything? And it's, it's like, you're in the real world. Right. And so now you're just like, wow, what do I do? (laughs) You don't want to mess up.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I've been making too many phone calls to, you know, credit card companies and, (laughs) you know, calling maintenance for my fridge and just doing a lot of like typical adulting things that I just honestly did not see coming. Um, And then also my, so I went to the University of Iowa. I grew up in Iowa city, which is where um, the university is located. And so um, I don't know how, where your parents live or if they're close to Ohio state, but being so close to home, it's something that I definitely took advantage of. And now that I'm a little farther away, um, it's, it's definitely a lot, uh, it's a lot different, obviously with parents being, um, you know, five, five hours away, but yeah, I think it's just part of growing up and, um, growing as an individual.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, I hope for you that everything is smooth and hopefully there are no any, like, I mean, I know it's going to be hard, but hopefully it's not too bad. Right. Especially growing up. And especially when you move to like a different place, it's always going to be tough because it's like, you're spending like, you're, you're like, you have this, uh, and you you're, you're surround yourself with family and now you're like on your own. So it's like, I got to make sure i be the best version of me every day. But I actually, you mentioned Iowa University or where you uh, graduated from. And I want to talk more about that because for many people, I mean, especially let's just pretend that you're a college student. Um, we all have a very unique relationship with the school that we go to, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And whether you're there for three, four, five years I mean, everyone has a unique relationship with whatever university they went to. You had a very unique relationship, which is the fact that it almost feels like you were, you've been a part of this Iowa University culture your whole life because um, I think your family or your parents were both were first students at Iowa University and then they worked for the university. So you were essentially, I guess, raised on campus. And so I would love to know if Iowa University ever meant something to you personally or if it was just one of those, like, yeah, I I my parents went to the school, I went to the school, and it was just a matter about getting your degree and then like kind of trying to live life.
1: Um, well, you know, I think there are certainly layers to this. Um, and yes, you're correct. I was raised on campus. Um, my parents were indeed graduates from the University of Iowa and they currently work there. Um and you know, my, my parents live about a seven to ten minute drive away from campus. Um, and even when I was young growing up, I would have memories of running across, um, just the the grass on the Pentacrest. It's just like this area of the campus. But um, and my mom was she would teach German, and it like I I just have very strong memories of growing up um, in that area. Um, but. As I entered high school and um, realized how big of an impact my immigration status has on my college career, it really didn't make sense to go out of state. I l- let me tell you, I really wanted to, but in terms of immigration, in terms of you know finances and whether or not I can afford it, it just seemed like going in state. Um, especially to a university where I personally already had a very strong network. Um, it it made sense. And so, um, you know, I, I wasn't terribly upset about it um, because like I said, I did have a strong network. I did have kind of that stability of, well, you know, I, I know this campus that, that is staying constant. The people are changing and that's okay. Um and so, yeah, that's that's kind of what my thought process was as I, as I was entering college was, um, you know, this will be a good learning experience. And although I did want to go out of state, like I said, um, I think. That going to the University of Iowa was probably the best decision that I made um, because it really allowed me to grow. Um, and I did I answer all your your whole question? I'm trying to think. I feel like I, Did I, what was the second half of your question? I might've missed it. <laughs> oh no.
0: I, I basically asked if, um, you ever felt like a personal connection to Iowa university or if it oh, was yeah. just like another school to you, like, Oh yeah, I go to Iowa university.
1: Um, definitely not just another school to me. <laughs> no. Um, and especially I, I've kind of realized that after I got involved in immigration advocacy, um, for the first couple of years, it was just, you know, I, I like it here. It's nice. Um, you know, it, I'm learning a lot. I'm growing. Obviously, the pandemic happened. And then I got involved in immigration advocacy and the University of Iowa community. And when I say community, I don't mean just the students. I mean, students, faculty, university leadership. They all supported me in tearing out the conversation for immigration reform coming from an Iowan perspective. And having that support from a public four-year educational institution it means a lot it's a big it's a big deal and um I think you know it's it will still hold a very special place in my heart
0: yeah I want to actually ask you an off-topic question which is that you you talked about how you you would love to go out of state hypothetically but which if you did have that chance what would that school be?
1: Um, you know I actually always wanted to end up in Minneapolis um so I was looking at the the university here mm-hmm. yeah uh Purdue is also another big option for me but it like I said, I think finances because there were some financial limitations for those in my situation who um you know we're not allowed to apply for FAFSA we can't accept most scholarships so it was either pay the international student, fee or get in state at Iowa. And so um yeah, I think that that's kind of where my conclusion was at.
0: <laughs> well, hey, you know what? In a way, I'm glad that you did have a community that did support you throughout this whole journey. Now, I want to talk about um your immigration advocacy because you are a member or you're on the board of directors for Improve the Dream. Um, you are someone who is known as a documented dreamer. Now for a lot of people, that's something that we may be hearing for the first time. and But the, in reality, the interesting thing is you are one of, I think, 200,000 people who identify as a documented dreamer. So can you tell me more or the audience more about what a documented dreamer is and why it's important to learn more or support, why it's important to support them throughout their journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a documented dreamer is a um, dependent, quote unquote, child of a long-term visa holder. And um, there are two different classifications for a Documented Dreamer. Um, So we'll call this category one. Category one is something called the H-4 visa. Now the letters and numbers really, you know, if you, you don't really, I think it honestly makes it a lot more confusing for people who are trying to understand the issue. So, um, just bear with me, <laughs> but H <laughs> four visa, um, is a dependent visa for something called an H one B now that you might've heard. It's just a very, it's a type of a work visa that allows you to, um, have work authorization in this country. If your employer sponsors you obviously, and then, uh, apply for a green card and hopefully years down the road, you can apply for citizenship, um, and the second category is so the category 2 we have the E2 visa now these are individuals that come to this country to start a small business the downside of this visa is that these individuals can renew their green or sorry they don't have a green card can renew their visa their E2 visa indefinitely but they can never apply for a green card and as a result never get citizenship now the problem with the E2 visa is so you've got you've got a family of four you know the two parents are renewing their E2 visa they they own a bakery they own a gas station they're renewing their visa indefinitely and their children on the other hand grow up they turn 21 and these children have to get kicked off of that visa so th- because you know their parents cannot apply for a green card now we've got we're going to go back to category one. Um, category one is you've got the work visas who can apply for for a green card for citizenship. That is the category that I fall in. Um, the reason the reason why we end up in the same predicament as the E2 dependent visa holders is because of something known as the green card backlog. So for citizens of India, China, and few other countries, there is a very long backlog. I believe for India, it's, and I, I'm not exaggerating this number, that's just a number that has, they've done d- research and they have they have data to prove it, 150 years of a backlog. So basically, if I were to apply for a green card today, it would take me 150 years to actually get that green card because you there are only a certain amount of green cards available in the work visa category for Indians. So, you know, same, let's do the same thing. We've got a family of four, both the parents are working, they get the H1B, their kids are on an H4, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting for their green card. Their kids grow up, they age age out of the system at 21, and these kids are no longer applicable on that original green card application. So they have to start the process all over. And that puts those individuals and the E2 individuals in the same boat with well, oh darn, I have aged out at 21. I have to, I should have applied for a student visa, an international student visa, a few years ago. So let's say they did that. There is you know, a chance that they don't get the student visa. If they don't get the student visa, they have to go back to the country that their passport is from. Um, some people call it the home country. I disagree with that term because this is our home country. My home country is not India. So India is the country where my passport is from. Um, And then say they do get the student visa, then essentially they have to do the same thing that their parents did. Um, Get an H-1B, which is the hardest part because there is a 25% acceptance rate every single year, at least for the past couple of years. So that was a lot of information, but that is just, you know, all of it in... A couple minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. <laughs> um,
1: it's, yeah, it's, it, it, I'm still learning how to, you know, communicate l- legal immigration law properly uh, into layman's terms, but that's, that's the gist. And um, to answer the second part of your question, the reason why it's so important to support your documented dreamers and not just your doc, your, your fellow immigrants, your dream, your traditional dreamers is because. And this is something that i think i've had to experience and then learn is you don't know what other people are going through um i i remember um our improve the dreams language was um, included in a very big immigration bill that unfortunately did not end up passing the senate but it did pass the house this was um, march of 2021 it was called the dream and promise act and i remember i'm in college and this is kind of at the last leg, I guess, of the, of the pandemic. And I'm sitting in my apartment kitchen and I'm tuned in onto C-SPAN. How many 21 year olds watch C-SPAN? Not, not right. Right. <laughs> right. And so I, I I remember thinking, and I'm watching, you know, them decide the votes on this bill, because if it passes the house, that's one step closer to me being able to get a green card. And I remember thinking, well, that's, I, no one around me can, like, cause it, it, they all come from a place of privilege. I also come from, from a place of privilege, but in this case, it's not applicable. Um, and so with that being said, you never know what anybody's, what people are going through. Um, I think, especially with the immigration system, there are just so many rules and, backlogs and policies, and it becomes very expensive. And it's a huge burden for the family and for the individual. So yeah, I think, you know, support, support your immigrants, support your traditional dreamers, support your documented dreamers. That's all I got to (laughs) say.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think firstly, when you were talking about explaining the immigration system, I I don't blame you in the sense that like, it, it can be difficult to explain. And it is especially difficult when, like, I guess people can't relate to you, right? Where there's like, wait, what, like, what is this issue? Like, we, a lot of people, it's like, we used to think immigration is more of like, you go into this much, you move into this country, then you get out of this country. And then like, there's all these, like, all these different terminologies being thrown at you. And you're just like, wait, what, what? Like, I didn't know that it takes like 10 years to become an American citizen. But then it's like, but there are other issues going at play that it's like, Wait, like it, it is confusing. So I do appreciate you for being able to go like that like it is a confusing topic, but at the end of the day, it's like how do you explain it the best way possible? But
1: Right. And I think um this is something that I learned especially this past week. Um, so uh I'm quick little anecdote here. So um I I always realized that the reason why the immigration system doesn't get fixed is because it's just so hard to understand that people don't want to touch it. Um, And, you know, I, that was the reasoning that I kind of told myself, but I never really saw it being discussed in front of my eyes. Um, I was tuned into the, um, so the White House has like an AAPI advisory commission. And um, they have meetings every so often. And I was um, watching their meeting. It's a public, it's on YouTube, but I was watching their meeting for this past week and they were talking about, um, I think they were talking about EADs or sorry, work authorization uh, documents Mm -hmm. for certain immigrant types. Um, And, you know, these individuals in the meeting, I'm looking at them and they are talking about, they're like, well, you know, um, does this mean X, Y, Z, or does that mean this? And that the commission itself dealt with so much confusion in terms of being able to understand the system that they said, you know what, we don't really understand what's going on here. Let's just revisit this next week. And for someone who who has kind of dealt with those problems, it was really disheartening to see, because it really made me think, well, you know, if, if even members of the AAPI community don't want to take a look at it and help fix it, then it's, I think it's really easy to lose hope when you see that being discussed right in front of your eyes. But, um, you know, after listening to that, I kind of just realized that I think it's just a matter of communication, possibly, even from adv- from different advocacy groups point of view. So um, yeah, I think that communication aspect is extremely important.
0: Yeah, and I want to touch on something you said where you talked about how um the importance of understanding what or the fact that we don't understand what people are going through because it's it's very easy when someone you when you don't relate to them you don't it's like why should i care and it's like you should because you don't know what that what, what you don't know the the effect that a decision can have on a family or a child or whomever now, I want to kind of connect it to you personally, because as someone who is being affected by this, I think a few years ago you were talking about how, you know, at the age of twenty one or at the age of twenty one, your status freezes out and then you face the 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 issue of potentially going back to India where you were born. and and you you talked about something interesting, which is the fact that, like this is your home, right? Because you, you like you were born in India, but you moved to the United States at like four months. And since then, this has been like everything you've known and people can say well i mean i know it's going to be difficult but you can always go back and rebuild yourself but the thing is it doesn't matter where they're from it's like this has been their home and then trying to go back and trying to rebuild that life is 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 going to be difficult especially when it's a completely different environment like compared to india like their way of living is way compared to the the way of living of the united states so as someone who's going through this process obviously you know you're faced with this idea of potentially going back to india and there's obviously fear and uncertainty how are you able to live your life each day for going forward because there's a lot of negativity and there's a lot of reason to be scared as someone who's currently going through this how are you able to find positivity or hope in that maybe everything is going to be okay in the end
1: um you know i i'm going to kind of take myself back to me you know, in college before I had found Improve the Dream, honestly, it was really hard for me to find positivity. And, you know, to any other immigrant who's listening or who, you know, who resonates with this, it's okay to not find positivity. It, obviously, you need, you know, you, you need the strength to keep on going, but... Um, you have to understand that at the end of this day, at the end of the day, it is not your fault. You are just someone who has been unfortunately trapped in this position, but I think when I, when I was in college, I put the blame on myself a lot, which I know looking back doesn't make sense because what could I have done? Right. Um, but I remember not being able to find work because I couldn't work and feeling so useless and kind of like, just like a, I just felt like I was just existing, um, didn't really have anything to work towards. And, and I remember telling my parents and honestly, my therapist at the time that I felt like this was on me for being, you know, quote unquote, lazy or Um, you know, not willing to work hard enough, but then I realized even if I did, there's no, I cannot just work. I don't have the government authority to work. And so, um, yeah, it was really hard, especially during that time when I was applying for a student visa and I didn't know if I would get it or not. And that's when I testified. Um, I think the best, The best thing I have done is join Improve the Dream because it gave me an outlet to be able to communicate my very personal frustrations, but in a more formal manner. And also, you know, try to effectuate change for other people who are in that position. Um, Growing up, I really thought that I was the only person in this particular situation just because... You know immigrate your immigration status especially in the aapi community is such a taboo topic no one wants to talk about it so even you know before before i had joined improve the dream even while i was joining improve the dream my parents were always like don't don't talk about your status like you know we we can't have other people knowing what you know what kind of position we're in and i you know when i was growing up i was like that makes sense you know i shouldn't tell anybody about my status but then I joined Improve the Dream and I met so many amazing, talented, wonderful individuals who, like me, felt very frustrated with the system. And meeting these individuals, it honestly empowered me to speak up. And um, sorry, mom and dad, but <laughs> um, but it did. And um, it gave me, again another sense of community that I had, Improved the Dream gave a lot of us the voice that we so desperately lacked. Um, And while we do struggle, continue to struggle with our statuses, um, knowing that we have the power to um, influence policy is, like I said, very empowering as young individuals. Um, So I think going forward that is the positivity that i kind of cling on to as well i have improved the dream you know um we i have my community
0: yeah i think that's really one of the most powerful that's really powerful because i think when we first met we talked about the fact that you're very you're 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 facing a very like i guess like a a, a monster in a way i hate to use that term but it's like in a way like this is a really bad thing that could be happening to you but Finding a community, finding a group of people that are like you and trying to, that are fighting for people like you to stay uh, in this country because you der- deserve it. Yes, it's scary, but it's like, it's less scarier because there's so many people behind you who are willing to help you and help other people reach their end goal. And the interesting thing about Improve the Dream, and this is where I first heard about you, and I talked about this in the introduction, where you testified before the House Judiciary Committee to really talk about you know, what it's like to live in this country and the fact that, you know, how much are how much people's lives can change when um, or if if they're going back, because it's just it's not going to be the same for them. And I would love to know for you personally, like what it was like to be able to talk to talk to politicians about sharing your story, sharing other people's journey. Or stories as well and was there ever a sense of like nervousness because you know you're obviously there for a mission to tell people like your your dream or your your uh your journey and your your goal but there's also the sense of like you're talking to politicians so like what was that like and were you ever like i guess like for lack of a better term nervous or scared to be speaking to these people
1: oh definitely very very <laughs> nervous very scared um yeah no i'm i won't downplay that <laughs> um no i i was um especially because up to up until that point i had done very basic local advocacy in the iowa city community so going from that to like the federal level was um it was a big jump and it was i think the biggest part of it was it was so unexpected um and i especially during that time I was mentally going through a lot, uh, especially as a result of my immigration status. Um, And it just so happened that, you know, members of my community really trusted me with their stories to be able to talk about the issue in front of members of Congress. And um, I think that's where really everything changed for, for me personally. And I, I also think for, um, you know, I think it gave a lot of us some direction. Um, so yeah, very nervous. Um, I, I really hadn't done anything like that before. <laughs> I I don't know what else I was like, I literally, I, I haven't done anything like that before. So, um, and I was in college, you know, it was very sudden. I, um, actually, I had just turned 21, and um, so I had just aged out of the system, and I was on a tourist visa at the time. Um, I hadn't received my work or my student visa, so you know, if it got rejected, then I would have to leave. Um, So that's kind of the the challenge that I was facing at the time. Uh, I connected with the founder of Improve the Dream. It was you know, smaller organization and um, he, he reached out and he said, do you, you know, do you want to tell members of Congress your story? Do you want want to tell your story to members of Congress? And I didn't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting a hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I, I found out, so I, you know, there was kind of like a, um, I don't want to call it an interview process, but that's basically what it was. Um, I got confirmed to testify. On, the, on that on that for on a Friday Friday afternoon and I basically stayed up it for what it felt like the whole weekend to work on my story and my 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 statement my my CV and everything and what I was going to say because it's really hard to narrow your story and other stories down into five minutes and also to talk about the issue in five minutes Um, And I had to uh, turn in the materials that Monday morning. So Friday afternoon to Monday morning, I was just on my laptop typing away, you know. Um, It was, uh, I don't, I honestly don't even remember that weekend too well because it was very, very stressful. But um, yeah, and then I, I testified a couple days after and the response was very overwhelming for Me, but also I think my parents more than me, Um, they came to this country, you know, obviously like many other families with very little, very little monetary resources. Um, And this is probably the last thing that they expected is to see their daughter, you know, go through 21 years of being in this uncertain immigration status period and then all of a sudden to see her testify on a federal level like it must it must have been a lot for them my mom didn't even watch my watch my testimony actually um i she i think was just too scared and i completely understand that so yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> no and it's and one of the things that really that stuck out to me as you were talking is the the fact is the importance of storytelling. And there was one thing, you you had an op-ed from uh, Teen Vogue, and there was one thing you said, and it was so powerful, which was, you may not be an American on paper, but you're an American by heart. And that quote, it was just like, you really are able to put yourself in other people's shoes or understand like you know what it is like to really be Perrine Matre on a day-by-day basis. And so for this podcast, I've always been vocal about storytelling and vulnerability, But I would love to know for you personally, and as cliche and cheesy or whatever, as it may sound, I'd love for you to talk about how important it is, what the importance of storytelling, how important it is to talk about a person's story, because yeah, people might look at it as just, okay, it's just a person's story. But when it's, especially about things like immigration and like how much a decision could impact a person's future, storytelling is one of, if not the most important thing when it comes to understanding a person fully.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Um, something that I I try to tell everyone is storytelling is the ultimate foundation of advocacy. So if you want to see something change in the future, get your stories. Get your stories down. Um, talk to other people in the community. Because these individuals can really bring together a very strong argument for you know passing xyz um not only that not only just advocacy but i think even just as a community um i per, i i sorry for getting too much in the weeds about this but so I, community good. is just so important to me as a person You've probably, you know, learned this by now. My I have my University of Iowa community. I have my Improve the Dream community. I think they're just so important. Um, and I think they not only make the individual more grounded, but I think that makes the community feeling a lot stronger. Um, and so, yeah, like I said before, storytelling is the foundation of advocacy. Um, being able to communicate, uh, you know, certain parts of your life in an eloquent manner. And I'm, I'm still, try, I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect at this. Um, I'm definitely still learning, but I've learned that that itself is so, so important to be able to convince lawmakers that your issue is worth solving.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I know that you've obviously you've been through so much and you've done so much, especially for improve the dream and giving people a chance or giving a spotlight to people that, um, you know, that need that spotlight because it they they do matter. Now, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the future for you because you know you've cuz you talked about in the beginning how you're in like this medical field and um you know that's something you want to do but you're also in this uh immigration activism as well. Where do you see yourself going? Is there something do you um like do you do you hope to do more immigration activism in the future or is it kind of like a struggle because you mentioned like your little daily routine with you know your job, and it's like it's very hard to balance everything. So, what does the future look like for you personally in terms of activism?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, I don't think that I will stop immigration activism until um, we get it done. Um, my my parents also ask me that, funnily enough, probably every week. Like, <laughs> so now that you're in your job, or is this still like a thing? And I was like, yeah, actually, it is, because I told them my you know my story what i've gone through it's still very much me and it's it's still a part of me um and so i think it's it's really important to not give up because if you give up on the issue then that means that you don't really believe in it right and so and i i and i do believe in this issue and i do believe in the improve the dream team and the community so, um, while it is, a while the past couple months have been difficult with trying to balance my full-time job, like I've said, it's not a typical eight to five, nine to five. So, um, it's been a bit of a struggle. Um, but I think it's just all a part of post-grad growing and, um, just that period where, you know, you're just trying to balance everything, but, um, yeah, the plan is to continue until we get it done.
0: Yeah, no, I think. Yeah, it is always a it's, it's it's funny how you talked about how it's like parents are like so now you you kind of reached like a goal it's like are you done it's like no because um you know there's still so much work to be done and you might be in a good position but the fact is that there are thousands of people who are scared for their lives and who knows what could happen in the future and Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and um I what you said, you said it perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I really remember growing up and literally fearing for my life, but not being able to talk to anybody about it. And the last thing I want is to have another younger, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old child to have to navigate that. Um, and there, like there are more, there are more than two hundred fifty thousand individuals who are going through this, and um, it's really important to stand up for all of them.
0: There's one thing I've learned about you is that, you know, obviously we're both South Asian, so I guess that's one thing we're in co- we have in common. But the the fact that there we have some, the one of the things we have in, in common is that the importance of community, it's the importance of storytelling, it's the importance of understanding. Um, what it's like to be in someone else's shoes because ultimately you and I, and like many other people are human beings and whatever happens good or bad can affect a person for the rest of their life. And I know I sound like a broken record when I say that, but like, I think you can definitely agree to this. It's where it's like, if they do go back to where they were born, you know, their life changes, um, um, forever. And, you know, I, I really hope that people, Uh, however long that takes, which I hope is soon as possible, that all these people who are going through this really hard or uh, this really difficult period of time that they're able to find the light at the end of the tunnel that they're able to be okay at the end of the day. And so I'm glad that there are people like you. I'm glad that there's improved the dream. And I wish you guys the best of luck in the future. But Preen, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I really had a great time talking to you and I wish you nothing but but the best in the future.
1: Well, thank you so much. I also had a great time talking to you about our work and what we do. It's been an honor.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you saw, feel free to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at TheOMCGPodcast for more information on guests, preview clips, and more. Please continue to support this podcast. I really do appreciate all the support I've received throughout these past few months, and I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.